0: Welcome to Always in the Garden with Jason Jorgensen. In this podcast series, Jason and his guests share their passion for plants, gardening, and landscape design from around the world. Jason is the founder and owner of Third Spring Landscape Design, a Seattle, Washington-based landscape design company. And now your host... Jason Jorgensen.
1: Welcome to Always in the Garden with Jason Jorgensen. Today's special guest is Sheila Tucker, a local Seattle gardener and uh, I would say an expert in summer dry gardening. And um, I have a great pleasure of working with Sheila in her garden and uh, have learned quite a bit from her. So um, it's a great pleasure to have you here today, Sheila. Thank you for coming.
2: Oh, I'm really excited to be here and to be able to talk about summer dry gardens and summer dry garden plants I know that um, it's of a special interest to both of us, and uh, there's a lot of experimentation to be done, but um, we have good knowledge of some things that really work well so far.
1: Exactly. Yeah, it is uh, It is amazing, and it's kind of an experiment, because we're always trying new plants and exciting different uh, things in our both of our gardens to see what survives, what doesn't survive, and... Um so that's, that's always a great thing to, to talk about and share with, uh, with uh, our listeners. Well, first off, I know, um, I know your story about your garden, but if, uh, if you'd like to spend a few minutes and explain your background on what brought you to um, creating a summer dry garden.
2: Well, gardening was always in my genes from my, my dad in England, um, but it was kind of lost for in my early part of my life. I was busy doing um, skiing and ski racing, and and living in Colorado, where um, I should have planted a summer dry garden there. But in fact, I just used the native plants with sages and and the uh, various things that grow on the slopes of the mountains in Colorado. Um, but when I moved to this house in Seattle, which was 30 years ago, I inherited an enormous amount of lawn, uh, both in the front and the back garden. The area in the front, uh, I measured it out to be about 375 square feet of grass, and uh, it was irrigated by huge old-fashioned irrigation that went on at night, but through the water, way in the air, and um, as the lawn was on a slope, it sloped down to the road and ran into the gutter and straight down to Carkeet Park at the bottom of the road and eventually into Puget Sound, and uh, the grass itself didn't look very healthy. I hated to use uh, uh, fertilizers with weed control in them, and so um, I got a lot of weeds, and when I took out the weeds, there were a lot of bare patches. Yeah, and exactly. uh, then the water got extremely expensive in Seattle, and I believe that we're still uh, at the top of the list as far as expensive water, city water.
1: Exactly. Yeah, it is one of the highest in the in the United States.
2: So um, I decided to. Uh, remove all the grass and plant a different kind of garden. And um, my husband was really behind me. And uh, we quickly found uh, a landscape architect that worked really well with stone. And so the grass was all taken out. I had uh, Phil wood of landscape design, uh, draw up for me some plans for a beautiful front round patio area with walls on the lower side, and um, and then we bought some uh, really large scale rocks from marinacus Rocks here near Seattle, and that was our beginning. Um, and then came the really fun part part of choosing plants that would not only grow but thrive in a in a garden which was not irrigated in the summer
1: exactly so there's that uh that term that summer dry garden that uh, we all now know uh because we get lots of rain in the winter time here in seattle or in the pacific northwest and then we have very hot dry summers and and they seem to be getting longer and drier so
2: yes um it's quite worrying Actually, uh, but it seemed that I had a good start on this before uh, a lot of people realized that this was the way that we have to go.
1: Exactly, and it looks like you've uh, we've got a couple. We'll t- uh, online at alwaysinthegarden.com. We'll have a couple photos, uh, background photos. We've got a great photo of the garden uh, in two thousand three. Of uh, the hardscape in and uh, some really fun placement of plants uh, that Sheila has brought with us, uh, b- brought for us to see today.
2: So uh, uh, the next step was to choose which plants I hoped would work out there. And I was very grateful to find uh, the book, The Gravel Garden by Beth Chateau. She was an amazing British gardener who really. Uh, invited us to think carefully about what plants should go in which place in our gardens. So she suggested right plant, right place was the way to go. And uh, I heeded that, and I read all her suggestions about how to implement a a gravel garden or a summer dry garden, and then... uh, I made a big, long list of plants that she suggested would work. Yeah. there, there. and then um, we went off to some nurseries and started buying. And I think I came home with uh, a large amount of plants right away, and then we kind of uh, decided where they would go in the garden. And I had already drawn out areas in the garden where I thought would be the gardens, And I drew them out in chalk, and then I uh, designed where the pathways should be walking around these gardens. And um, I could see from where the workmen had been working where certain pathways needed to be. So that made it easier in the beginning.
1: Yeah that's uh, that's uh that's an interesting design aspect actually they um there is a style of gardening that way that uh, with open like campuses on colleges and um in kind of large public spaces they let the public walk through and they let those walk paths become the natural places um that become the the form, formal pathways it's really kind of an interesting way to 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 let a garden kind of grow on its own like organically so mm-hmm. that's a really interesting aspect that i didn't realize that that um that that was one aspect of the way your garden was those pathways that are very natural now that i you know when i'm working in your garden and i see how those just naturally flow uh, quite easily from one space to the other well, what what um, speaking of plants and that whole palette of, of plants that uh, Beth Chato recommends, um, what are what are some that you used initially in your garden?
2: Well, I knew that um, Seattle had a climate um, which was very similar to a few other areas in the world, and uh, it lined up with the Mediterranean area in Europe, and also areas in Australia and New Zealand and some areas in South Africa. So it seemed natural to go and search for plants that lived in those areas and thrived, Um, although I had to take into consideration that although we have dry summers in Seattle, we have very wet winters, and they can be quite cold. Not cold like Midwest cold. Exactly. But... um, I've had temperatures down to 17 degrees Fahrenheit in my garden, and some of those Mediterranean plants, they can take slight frost, but they cannot live in temperatures like 17 degrees Fahrenheit. So so I took, took into consideration um, the plants which I thought would live in the Seattle area. Um
1: Th- that's true, too. I mean, even this last winter, the winter of 2000, well, actually, it'd be the winter of 2019, uh, 2018, 2019, we received a very heavy snow, uh, frost, snow, and uh, uh, a lot of gardens, whether they were summer dry gardens or even just regular regular watered gardens here in the Seattle area, lost a lot of plants um, because of that heavy, heavy, wet snow. And the cold freezing wind and rain or snow and rain that kind of blew in from the north that uh, really was kind of shocking because we had a very mild beginning to the winter. And then late winter, we had that cold snap that really did a number on a lot of gardens. I mean, you, you yourself lost a very large eucalyptus that had been growing in your garden since uh, 2003 yes. uh, that snapped that um, because of that heavy, wet snow that... W- we do get, but, uh, this year was particularly even more, um, damaging to a lot of the gardens.
2: I was pleased that I didn't lose more plants. And so, um, that made me very happy to feel that I have a good range of plants that will live in this climate, whether we have wet, soggy winters or cold with a lot of snow. Um, I also like to mention just at this moment that it's really important for these kind of plants to have soil that drains really well. Because in the winter, the soil in Seattle can get really soggy. And so um, I would suggest if you could to have the the area that you might want to plant this way to be on a slight slope although too sloping is wrong also, then you need to put in bulkheads, but slightly sloping so the water can drain, and also a very, um, a soil mixed in with quite a bit of uh, gravel so that it drains freely and and the plants don't drown in the winter.
1: Exactly, yeah, they they can handle that winter wet as long as that water can throw, flow through the soil and and not become super saturated. And so they're not sitting in water. But, uh, but it luckily here in the Seattle area, we have a lot of areas that have kind of sandy loam. And then we also have a lot of glacial till, which has these kind of big boulder pieces, uh, stones, gravel mixture that is also uh, very well draining, but, uh, is pretty low in nutrients. So, um, so that that can can be tough sometimes to get plants established in that type of situation, but in that sandy loam that uh, luckily a lot of us do have um, that uh that this style of gardening uh, works particularly well
2: so you suggested that I talk about a few plants that I um really enjoy yeah, in my front garden exactly and don't think I could do without um, I I, I don't think that a summer dry garden could be without some of the grevilleas from Australia. Um, they are evergreen plants, and they have beautiful kind of spider-shaped flowers. Many of them, uh, which bloom in the winter months, and um, it's extraordinary to see really snow on the branches of these shrubs and these. Bright red flowers and some of the overwintering Anna hummingbirds uh, feeding on those blossoms in the middle of of winter.
1: It, it is pretty striking. They're they're almost fighting. At least uh, during the summer, they're just buzzing around. Uh, I know your garden and in my garden. They're always squabbling and squawking about whose uh, whose bush is this, and it's my turn to feed it this uh, grevillea, and it's always quite fun. And of course. Um, That being said, uh, um, this type of plant or or this type of gardening is is really amazing with how it attracts wildlife, whether it's insects, uh, birds, and all of these plants really help um, with those insect populations as well as attracting uh, uh, transitory birds as well as uh, birds that are here year-round. And that's really amazing and shocking to see Quantity and variety of especially insects, the bees and um, uh, different types of like syphid uh, flies, as well as all of the wasps that are attracted to these types of gardens. But uh, but with that, let's get back to the grevilleas, and okay. you probably have some other ones that you really enjoy. Um,
2: well, I just wanted to mention three the three different um, species that I have the grevillea. Um, Victoria, the straight Victoria, and then the Grevillea Murray Valley Queen. Those are two that have these red spidery blooms in the winter. In fact, they, sometimes they carry them all year long. And then uh, a new one which I planted um, last year is Grevillea called the precious. And this indeed is a precious Grevillea. It has yellow blooms. And uh, I'm hoping that this will um, do really well out here in front. Uh, another plant I don't think that you could do without in these kind of gardens is are the manzanitas from uh, native to California. There are upright ones, um, there are prostrate ones, and uh, I have a little collection of four or five manzanitas. They have beautiful, uh, slightly peeling red bark, uh, which... Just sets off the green leaves and the beautiful uh, blooms that come in very uh, in the springtime, um, and then they finish up with little berries later on.
1: Yeah, those are beautiful, and those branches really do um, are quite striking, especially when they get mature. You can see those really; they almost look like a like a chestnut red color, really beautiful and in the winter time they look quite striking
2: um i have uh, howard mcmahon which i just love that's been there in the garden now for 14 years or 15 years i have dr heard and i also have a beautiful one called paroensis p-a-j-a-r-o-e-n-i-s-i-s Um, I'm really fond of that one that's been in the garden about 10 years. And uh, then I have a prostate, Manzanita arctostophilus, which is called Pacific Mist. And uh, it it had a little bit of mold for quite a while. But then since the eucalyptus is gone, it's getting much more light. And I think it's becoming really healthy. So I really suggest um, trying one of those. And then, um another couple of large shrubs, which I really enjoy is uh one is Lomacea myricoides from Australia, and this has uh beautiful elliptical leaves and very small but many lovely yellow blooms in early summer, and then they turn into enormous dangling seed pods. I don't know how such a small bloom can make such a large dangling seed pods, but they're incredibly (coughs) beautiful. And uh, another plant which I've been able to grow, although it's difficult in Seattle, I think I must have the right spot, is Acacia Pravissima, um, which in early summer or spring has gorgeous yellow, fluffy Flowers, many, 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 all the way along the branches, and it's quite lovely um, yeah, at the, that time of the year.
1: Really beautiful. They almost look like little tiny pom poms, like about the size of your pinky fingernail, just studded the whole branch. That's it's really, right. really lovely.
2: Um, I also can't forget <coughs> that I have a Viburnum boned intensi dawn, and I love plants that bloom in the winter and this is a winter blooming viburnum and it blooms pink uh lots of blooms and intensely fragrant which is so wonderful at that time of the year before much else is uh is producing blooms and fragrance
1: exactly and then you also uh, one thing that i think both of uh, both of us really enjoy are all the kind of the myriad of of species and uh, cultivars of salvia's in our gardens, we those are also pretty amazing and very tough plants that um, do well in these summer dry gardens.
2: I was going to mention a couple of herbaceous plants, and I had euphorbias down. Oh yes, um, and also uh, the salvia, especially salvia caradonna, uh, with the black stems, and. Uh, The blue and yellow, I love blue and yellow together. And so these produce blue and yellow blooms and um, they're just striking in the garden and I think almost essential.
1: Yeah, that's a really classic color combination, that blue and yellow um, in gardens, whether they be perennial gardens or even in this uh, uh, summer dry garden garden. Uh, style. This is a real classic and very beautiful combination. Those, uh, those colors on the color wheel just just do so well together.
2: There are many plants out there which I feel I couldn't do without, but I have to mention a couple of clematis, which uh, you wouldn't think would do well in the front uh, sun, summer dry garden. I have arabella, and I also have durandii, and these are two clematis that come back every year with masses of blooms and are totally carefree. They just need a little cut back in, in February or March, and off they go again.
1: And the Durandii, is this, that's the one that blooms in the fall to winter, is that correct? No, no uh,
2: Durandii is actually blooming right now oh, okay. in June, and it's climbing over a big cystus. Uh, and it's down in the front of the garden. Large purple flowers. Yes, yes, large purple flowers. It's
1: kind of a scrambler, right? It's more yes. so than a, a true kind of vining clematis. Yes, climatis.
2: it's not a climbing, hanging on type. It's a scrambler through. So yes,
1: yeah, it looks good grown through plants like you have in your yes. garden. And then the arabella is the...
2: Arabella is the one growing near the house. Uh, on the trellis. Okay. Yes. And that
1: one's blooming right now as well. It's
2: blooming also.
1: And what is that third one that's there? There's also one that's a winter blooming. Yes.
2: Um, That's a a Cirrhosa clematis, and it's winter blooming. It's evergreen, and then it has little um, kind of whitish, creamy whitish blooms, which you cannot believe is blooming in the middle of winter.
1: Yeah, that's a lovely one. I, I just uh, remember or remark seeing that uh, come November it starts blooming and then it's kind of blooming all through the winter. Yes. That's a lovely one. And it's nice that you have the two mixed together because then you get the the nice summer blooms and then you get the, that fades out and then you get the nice winter bloom. So it's a nice combination of the two. And y- you had mentioned uh, some euphorbias. I know uh we go on and on back and forth about euphorbias a lot, uh, um, in both of our gardens. And one that I really like is this, um, euphorbia, um, rigida, which is a very nice kind of upright, uh, v- version of, um, I think many people know of the euphorbia mercenitis, which is kind of, uh, commonly called donkey tail spurge. But, It's more of an upright and the leaves are pointed and it grows in this nice upright habit. And some gardens, some gardeners complain that that the rigida is a bit of a thug, but it seems like neither of us are having any problems with those going to seed in either of our garden. And I don't know if it's...
2: I'm always excited when I see a seedling coming (laughs) up.
1: And then I've heard other people say that, oh, this plant seeds all over my garden and I wish it Mm. would seed all over mine as well because uh it's always nice to to let those plants that do self-seed kind of run through the garden and create that kind of naturalistic uh design element that we really like cuz you know you never know where those plants are going to pop up
2: and they have um, they bloom a little later and they have beautiful blooms that kind of turn an orangey a pinky orange color and they're quite delightful yeah that's
1: a nice one that, 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 that speaking of the the uh, euphorbia rigida mm-hmm. and then i w- in my own garden i inherited a couple of patches of the euphorbia mercenitis which mm-hmm. is now also kind of that's the one that i seem to have problems with itself seeding although it's quite easily to remove yes and you have quite a few yes of the um the wolfenii uh euphorbia Caracas yes. subspecies Wolfenii coming mm-hmm. up in your garden but you have some other really beautiful ones too.
2: Um, the Wolfenii are e- the seedlings are easy to remove and if you don't want seedlings you just uh, uh, prune back the the blooms um, before they go to seed. Exactly. And I've been doing that a little bit with the Mercenides. I have to tell you that Beth Chateau um, I heard her say once that People who went through her garden and saw this euphorbia mercenides came over and said, "That plant needs a stake; it's lying down." <laughs>
1: <laughs> little did they know that 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 little ground cover likes to kind of scramble and lay down on the ground. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's funny. And you've got you've got one that I haven't seen, and maybe is no longer available. Uh, this one beautiful one called. Um, um, The velvet, no, Portuguese Portuguese velvet. Velvet. That's a really lovely.
2: Um, I'm lucky that I still have a piece of it. Euphorbias aren't usually very long-lived plants, but it has seeded a little bit, so I've got some seedlings that are still around. I wish it was still readily available um, because it has beautiful leaf structure.
1: Yeah, and and and, then, and it does look like velvet. It's this really beautiful, dark gray, velvety leaf, um, green gray. It's a really beautiful-looking plant, even not in bloom, but it's mm-hmm. a, it really looks quite stunning. Um, and then, of course, uh, uh, back to these plants that we like that self-seed in our garden. And, of course, one that uh, I think we, we both agree we definitely love is the Verbena benariensis, mm-hmm. which has these very tall rigid stems and then the, the uh, purple flowers at the tips that are great for all the pollinators, you know, see all the bees and all the butterflies and moths all over those uh, year round or when they're blooming in the, in the summer and spring uh, quite lovely and we'll self seed in a garden. And those are also quite easily to remove um, and you've got a really special uh, salvia that you like to let self-seed, an annual salvia that runs through your garden.
2: Yes, I, I have salvia horminum, which uh, started out as a packet of seeds in my garden. And uh, it readily self-seeds. It's, a, it's called a hardy annual and uh, because it self-seeds. And I am just thrilled when I see the seedlings coming up in the spring of that plant. And another plant which I really love is Onothera Mardi Gras, which is also, could be called a biennial, not long-lived at all, but it seeds around and has tall spires with uh, orangey-yellow flowers, um, single-petaled yellow-orange flowers um, all the way up the top part of its stem. And I look forward to those coming back every year.
1: Yeah those are lovely and uh, are great for self seeding through a garden as well. And then you've got a um another plant that I think you and I both really enjoy using in our gardens is uh, uh is the um self seeding um oh the name just escaped me. Hold on a second here. Um another plant that uh, that you and I both like to use in our gardens are the um Oh
2: yes, I was going to mention yeah. that. Um I have Jasionea. It's uh, it's kind of a ground cover. Yes, and it's uh, a californica, and I believe the one I have is called Wayne Silver, as the foliage is kind of silver colored. It's uh it grows very low to the ground, maybe only a few inches high, but covered in red blossoms, um, starting about July time in the garden. Um, I was just looking online and. I finally learned how to say Geranium and apparently it's now called according to the plant gods Epilobium.
1: Exactly. <laughs> you know once we learn the name then then they uh they decide to change it so <laughs> which is kind of funny but uh I think all of us uh, in the plant world or uh, gardeners we learn a name and we kind of we kind of keep that name in our head because um, that's the one we learned when we bought it and we planted it, and as as it's growing in our garden. So um, so yeah, sometimes uh, plant names do change, and sometimes we can remember the new name. Sometimes we can't remember the new name, and we still refer it to the old name. But uh,
2: and usually the new names are much more complicated. Exactly, <laughs> many more syllables and <laughs> seem almost unpronounceable.
1: I've got a really nice um, uh, Zauschneria or Epilobium in my own garden uh, that is called Salmon Select, which has a very kind of nice salmony-colored flower, which is quite lovely. The leaves are a little more green and less silver, um, but that one is also reliably um, kind of running as a ground cover and mm-hmm. looking quite nice. And I actually last year I decided to to cut and pick some of the the uh, seeds and put it in a different section of my garden. And I do have about five or six little seedlings coming up. So um, I'm kind of experimenting with uh, the various self-seeding plants in in my garden and trying to recreate that um, first layer of one or two years worth of uh, seeded uh, annuals or short-lived biennials or short-lived perennials uh, in new sections of my garden. And so that's always a fun thing to do or... Or if you don't have those plants, you can always buy the seeds and um, let them go to seed and see what comes up, because that's always a fun uh, experiment to see what is going to happen in your own garden.
2: One other plant, which I did um, want to mention today, because it's really a great plant, and I can never remember the name of it, so I had to go out and check the tag. And it's called Indigofera. Pseudo-Tinctoria. Oh. <laughs> and the color was rose carpet. But um it's a member of the pea family and it's cut back right close to the main plant in early spring. And then it just spreads itself out over the ground. And I believe the the one plant is now maybe at least two feet um wide in all directions and I believe that if you had several of them that would be an amazing ground cover. Oh
1: yeah, that would be quite lovely and that that one is always getting remarked at it when you have uh, open garden uh, tours at your place, especially in the late summer when it's blooming, everyone's like, what is that plant? Because we want it in our garden and it has these cute little, maybe one and a half to two inch uh, long flowers of these little tiny pea-like flowers that are this beautiful purpley kind of rose-purple color that yeah. are just really beautiful. Yeah. And uh, I don't think we've ever seen it go to seed.
2: No, it's never seeded, so um, sadly. But, um, and I, I seldom see it in the in the plant nurseries. Yeah. But I really recommend it, if you ever see one, to uh, pick it up.
1: Yeah, that's a great one. And, um, well, uh, looks like we're mm-hmm. running out of time today. So this is... Uh, been a really great opportunity to hear about the the uh, background of your garden and the history and uh, and some of your favorite plant picks and i really appreciate you coming and uh, joining me today on my podcast
2: thank you very much jason
1: yes all right well thanks again for listening to always in the garden with jason jorgensen Uh, we'll have behind the scene photos and uh, information available at alwaysinthegarden.com. thank you
0: we reached the end of another episode of Always in the Garden with Jason Jorgensen. Thanks for listening. You can connect with us online or find resources, materials, and behind-the-scenes photos at alwaysinthegarden.com If you enjoyed this podcast, we invite you to listen to our other episodes. Remember, you can find us always in the garden. Host, Jason Jorgensen, Executive Producer, Johan Leisha. Music by Pierre Dubouton. Introduction, Diana Rodriguez.